grateful uh, that you are faithful to that promise that you hear us, that you will respond to us. Uh, Father, as we seek as individuals and as a community to live lives that are uh, surrendered to your purposes, uh, God, we pray that you would stir that up in our hearts, a desire to offer all that we have and all that we are to you. And God, as we take steps towards that, as we look into your word today, uh, we pray that you would teach us, that you would shape us, and that you would equip us for everything that you have called us to as individuals and as a community. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at uh, Jericho Ridge. And as we look into our teaching time this morning, I wonder if you've ever noticed anything about journeys that people take in the Bible. They never seem to actually go in a very straight line, do they? So I know, you know, I get that it was the ancient Near East and limitations, and they didn't have TripAdvisor and MapQuest and all that kind of stuff, but some of them are just, from my point of view, poorly planned by our standards of efficiency. I mean, look at, for example, the route, the possible route that the uh, Israelites take from Egypt to Canaan. I know there was wilderness wandering and all of that kind of stuff and disobedience, but look at how direct the path could have been should they have chosen to go along the Mediterranean through the wilderness of Sharon. Boom, you're there. But that, that line, that is how my parents travel. They want to stop at all of the scenic vistas and smell the roses. If there's a scenic route, they would love to take that instead of going by the highway. They just want to kind of just meander when they travel. Me, I'm wired up differently in that category. I want to enjoy the destination. My parents will say things like, well, getting there is half the fun. To me, that's not half the fun. That's just poor planning. So I'm wired up that being there is the fun. Getting there is just something that you do quickly and then you can enjoy whatever it was you were planning on doing. But they like spontaneity and just going with the flow. Whatever they, wherever they want to stop, they stop. Whenever they want to see something, they just have the freedom to do that. They really enjoy that kind of traveling. Me, I like a little bit more of an ordered sense of what's going to happen uh, and what we're going to do and when. So like so many things in life, when we holiday with my parents, this gets us into some challenges. We have to decide on the balance between spontaneity and planning. But you know, in so many things in life, there is that balance, isn't there, between spontaneity and between planning. Even Jesus seems to have this in his travels. Our life journaling group that meets on Tuesday nights at Starbucks at 5.30, we were reading in John 6 from our um, uh, Project 345 plan on Tuesday, and Jesus' family says to him, hey, let's go up to the festival. And Jesus says, no, no thanks, I'm not really going. And then later on, it says he goes up, but he goes up by another route that his family goes. So we were kind of commenting on that and saying, man, even Jesus wanders and meanders. And in our text today in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is meandering. 
He's going on a circuitous route. He's heading to Jerusalem, but he's not doing it in a very quick and efficient travel planning kind of way. He's teaching as he walks along the road. And he's on the road. It's an ancient and dusty road. It cuts up through the mountains from the city of Jericho to the city of Jerusalem. And somewhere along this winding and dusty and ancient road, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a traveler on the very same road that they're walking on, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And in the story, the man is mugged and he's robbed by bandits. And the other travelers on this road, including a priest and a Levite, see the wounded and bleeding man by the roadside, but they leave him where he is. Finally, a despised Samaritan comes along, gives the man first aid, helps him to a nearby inn, gets him settled, and pays the tab for the man's expenses till he would be strong enough to resume his journey. Now, this story is perhaps familiar to some of you. It's often known as the Good Samaritan, and its message is often familiar to us. The message likely that we usually take from the story is be a good neighbor even to those that are not of your tribe. Centuries of good biblical PR have taught us this. But something else began to jump out at me as I looked at it through the lens of our series and our theme that we're doing this winter at Jericho, Generous Living. If you look at this story through the eyes of generous living, other things began to jump out at you perhaps as they did for me. Well, this series uh, called The Genius of Generosity is helping us explore what it means to be generous with all aspects of our lives. Everything that God has entrusted to us, he's given to us for a reason and for a purpose. And one of those things is for us to figure out how we can be generous with the things that God has given to us. So we're going to talk about with our time, our skills, our abilities, with the gospel, everything that God's given to us, what does it look like to be generous to those around us in 2015. So two weekends ago, we jumped in and we learned and talked about the fact that generosity, though we often think of it in terms of finances, generosity doesn't begin there. Generosity begins with our hearts, begins with our lives, begins with how we think. And so we give ourselves before we ever get to giving anything else. And then last weekend, Pastor Keith led us through an exploration of one of the big barriers that comes to our mind when we think about generous living. And that is the barrier of debt. Because when we think about generosity, particularly financial generosity, we think, well, I couldn't do that because I just, there's so many things that would uh, hang me up in that category. And we heard Dustin share his story about how our heart can want to be generous, but unless we deal with some of the root issues there, we can easily get consumed. And Dustin, I really want to thank you for sharing that. It was so good. There were real nuggets of wisdom in there. I had to go back and listen to it again, and there were some great nuggets of truth. Thanks for sharing that uh, with us. One of the other barriers that comes up, and Dustin referenced this a little bit, is the barrier of fear in our journey toward generosity. Because fear cripples the ability 
to be generous because we're scared that if we give something away, like our volunteering our time, that maybe there won't be enough left over in the week for us to do the rest of the things that we want to do for family time or whatever. And we're going to talk about how to address that barrier in upcoming weeks. But this morning, a third generosity buster that I come up against in my own life is that I might want to be generous, but sometimes I just have no plan to actually get me to where I want to be. Maybe for you, you know your skills and abilities that God has entrusted you, and you want to use them in a meaningful way to make a difference in the lives of people around you. But if you don't actually get that into your calendar or put a plan together as to, oh, I'm going to call that organization back and volunteer with Gateway of Hope, or you'll get to the end of 2015 and think, gee, I really wanted to volunteer more in 2015. What happened? The year is gone already. Just because there's no plan in place to move your generosity along things can often slip away. And here's where the story of the Good Samaritan actually, I think, provides us incredible assistance to wrestle with this tension between planning to be generous and just spontaneously sometimes coming across needs and choosing to meet them. So let's look, uh, focus the lens of the story on the actions of the Samaritan, and then we will rewind the tape. That's a VHS metaphor for those of you who missed the 80s and the early 90s. We will rewind the tape and look at what happened before the Samaritan actually got onto his journey. So I'm going to read in his actions from Luke chapter 10, verses 33 to 35. In the New Living Translation, the text says this. The Samaritan came upon him. A despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he had compassion. So again, it starts in his heart. He has compassion for him. Going over to him, it moves to action. He then soothes his wounds with olive oil, wine, bandages them. He took the man, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So the Samaritan takes some very specific and concrete actions in this story. Six of them, actually. He comes up to the man. He binds up his wounds. He anoints him with oil to comfort him. He loads him on his mule. He takes him to the inn and cares for him. And then he pays for his whole stay. And based on the monetary value that's mentioned, this is no small amount. He's paying for his stay for up to maybe three and a half weeks would be about two silver coins. And then he's saying, if it goes longer than that, don't worry, I'm good for it. I'll be back and I'll look after it. These actions together really have, for me, become a bit of a picture of generous living. He feels compassion for someone in need. He assesses the resources that he has at his disposal, and then he moves and takes active steps to meet the need right in front of him. So that's the spontaneous part of the story. But there's also, if you think about it, what happened before this. So imagine with me for a minute what you have to do to take a trip on a road like this and that time in the ancient world. This is known to people 
including Jesus as the storyteller, as a winding and dangerous road. That's why he makes the point that the guy is mugged and robbed and nobody thinks that it's shocking. This would happen. And so as a seasoned traveler, the Samaritan has considered what he might need for this kind of a journey. And he's made a solid plan. He thinks to himself, I might need extra money. Packs two silver coins. I might need bandages if I get hurt along this journey. Or oil, so he packs that. I need reliable, sturdy transportation, so he takes his mule along on the journey. He's got a solid travel plan in place. But when he sees the wounded man, this is where he has a choice. You see, the plan that he made was structured with his own needs in mind, presumably. So if he chooses to expend his coins and his supplies right here, right now, if he needs something later on his own journey, it's not available to him anymore. He's spent the money. He's used the oil. He's spent the bandages already. And so if he himself meets bandits along the road, he's hooped. He's just expended all of his planning on a total stranger whom he's never met from the other side of the ideological divide. If he gets cut, too bad. If he runs into unexpected expenses, too bad. He's used it up. He has made a promise to spend more if necessary. So he's made this plan for his trip, but when the opportunity comes along for him to be generous, he acts without fear and without self-preservation as his motivation. And for me, that's the tension that I wrestle with and maybe you wrestle with in our lives. See, we tend to think of generosity more towards, if we were to put it on a spectrum between planning and spontaneity, often we tend to think of generosity more in the spontaneity category. It's reflexive. We see a need and we move to meet it, and therefore we are being generous. But that's not the whole story of generous living. It can be certainly true. The challenge with that model of generosity is that if we simply wait for an opportunity to be generous, to present itself, we may not actually ever get around to being generous, and we will pat ourselves on the back and say, I was willing to be generous, Jesus, but you just didn't put anything across my path that I felt emotionally connected with. I'm suspicious that if we waited for us to feel like being generous, most of us, myself included, would never get around to actually being generous. In other words, I'm suspicious that most of us don't have a generosity plan. And because we don't have a plan to be generous, we often don't get there. Just like many other areas of our lives. Not because we don't want to be, but simply because our intentions have never been linked with some specific actions that could help move us further into a life of generosity. Our hearts want to be generous, but the real question is, if your heart wants to be generous, do you have a plan that you can connect with your heart to activate that and live out what it might look like to be 
generous. The Samaritan did. He had a plan that he put together. And because he had a plan, he was actually able to be flexible and spontaneous in his generosity. But only because he actually had a plan, first of all. So it can be helpful to ask ourselves, if you think about you and your own life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, do how much of your generosity is spontaneous and how much of it is premeditated or planned? Do you have a plan in your life for how you are going to be generous? If you met with your financial planner tomorrow, would they be able to find you guilty of premeditated generosity? Or for your calendar, do you have a plan in place that says, I'm going to spend my time in these ways being generous with my time, volunteering in these places, helping these people? Or do you just wait for requests to come along and see if you can fit it in somewhere? I love the way that this is put clearly for us as a reminder in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8. Isaiah 32, 8 says, Generous people plan to do what is generous. And then they stand firm in their generosity. Generous people plan to do what is generous. And then they stand firm in their generosity. See, this is one of the great benefits of premeditated generosity is that it allows you to make commitments that are firm and wise and aligned with your values and your intentions and to simply walk them out with a sense of confidence and resolve because you've planned to do that. I think about people that uh, in their wills make a plan to be generous and say, I want to give money away Even when I'm no longer here, I have a plan in place to make that happen so that even after I'm gone, the resources God has entrusted to me can continue to make a difference in the lives of others. Sometimes we'll think about that with end-of-life issues and our will, but we won't pull that same thinking into the planning that we make in our monthly or weekly budgets or how we go about entrusting the, using the money that God has entrusted to us. So whether it's how you're going to spend your time this week whether it's how much of God's money you're going to give away in 2015, when you plan to be generous, it gives you a freedom to be able to stand firm in the commitments that you have made. You can say, thanks so much for that invitation to assist with that, but you know what? I'm already committed on that night of the week. Or here's one that happens all the time. May not happen if you live in a condo, but knock, 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 or ding dong, and then our dog starts barking, and so then I pick the dog up, go to the door. Hi, sir, we're not here to convert you. That's how they usually start, right? We're just looking for a donation for X or for Y, for this particular charity. What do you do in that scenario? Do you shut the door? And then feel guilty later thinking, oh man, you know, 
I had a latte this morning. I guess I could have given that four bucks to the Cancer Society or to the Heart and Stroke Foundation or to the Red Cross or whomever it is. Why do we feel guilty sometimes about these interactions? Or when you get up to the front of the line uh, at point of sale and they say, would you like to make a donation to such and such a charity? And he's like, I hadn't thought about it, but now I'm kind of in a high-pressure situation. You know, if I say no, what's the person gonna, behind me going to think? Are they going to think, wow, that person cares nothing for sick children? Hmm. Why do we sometimes feel guilty about these interactions? Well, sometimes we feel guilty about these interactions because you might be wired up to have a hard time saying no to things. And so you say yes, but then you think about afterwards, boy, why did I make that commitment? I don't know why I made that commitment. I didn't even think about that very carefully, did I? But other people, we have a hard time saying no in these situations because we might not have a plan to be generous. And so we have no real reference point to know whether we, what, how we should respond in that situation. And so since we have no plan, there's a need right in front of us, and every need might feel equal or valid to us. And so we get caught up in the moment. We might get caught by emotions or by social pressure of what we think other people ought to think of us or a good sales pitch or a high-pressure appeal on our doorstep. And we make decisions based on that instead of a plan approach to generosity that would allow us to stand firm in our generosity. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, which gives some incredibly helpful guidance on the value of planning to be generous in advance, because it helps us deal with these kinds of situations. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, you must each decide in your heart ahead of time, is his implication, how much you're going to give. And don't give reluctantly. And don't give in response to pressure because God loves one who gives cheerfully. You know what's the incredible value of planning to be generous? Is that it gives you a freedom to say no and still feel cheerful in a way. Because you have a giving plan. Someone comes in the door and says, can you support this cause? I can say no without guilt. Not because I'm a calloused person who does not like that cause at all, but because I can say I'm not giving in response to pressure in any way. I have decided how I am going to give and where it's going to go in advance so I can make a choice that's rooted in joy and that's rooted in confidence. And so... I can say to the person if I decline at the door, thank you so much for that information. You know, we've actually pre-planned our giving for 2015, and your organization and the ask that you're making of me is not currently a part of that plan. But if you have some information that you'd like to leave with me, I'd be happy to look it over and consider what that might mean and make an informed decision at a later point and then graciously wrap the conversation up in that way. So long as you're being truthful and you are going to actually look it over <laughs> and you're not just trying to get rid of them. <laughs> or if you say yes, you can say, you know what? We actually have some resources that we've set aside. We haven't designated them yet. We haven't thought about, we were just asking and uh, thinking about what it would be an opportunity that we could meet a need. 
And we've been looking for opportunities to meet that need. And so here you are, and we're prepared to say yes to the need that you've put in front of us because that seems like a good fit with the resources that we've set aside. But you see, if we have no plan to be generous, we're driven by anything else, by our emotions, by high-pressure appeals, by relationships. Oh, it's my neighbor asking for this. I guess I should feel like I should support them in that way. Not by what we have decided in our hearts, which is another way that saying giving comes from our values. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you to go home and like ditch all of these people that come to your door with some kind of calloused remark. I'm just saying if you have a plan, then you know where those responses that come your way meet into that. It doesn't have to be somebody at the door. It could be a friend of yours that says, I'm going on a short-term mission experience. Would you be willing to help me? And you can look at that letter and now you can figure out, does that fit in to your plan? So you might say, well, Brad, this all sounds great. Premeditated generosity sounds like a great idea. I don't even know how I would get started with that kind of a plan. Like, what does a giving plan actually look like? I'm glad you asked. I'd like to invite Tyler and Lindsay Schachter to come up at this time, and they're going to share a little bit about their journey with you and what this has looked like uh, for them. Tyler and I got into a conversation about this topic about a year ago, and uh, he says, you know what we've come to, you know, we, we have sort of a way of living generosity out in our lives. And uh, it was very profound, and I found it very, very helpful. And so they've been willing to share a little bit about their plan uh, with us today. So Tyler is one of our uh, elders team here. Lindsay's one of our supported uh, global missionaries. And I've really uh, come to respect you guys in the way that you handle yourselves around generosity. And so maybe um, give us a little bit of a sense of, how did this thing start for you, and uh, what does it look like for you? How did you get into this planned generosity kind of mentality in your own life and thinking? Sure. Hello? This one on? There we go. Um, first of all, let me just say I just ran back from source, so I haven't heard the message up to this point, so if I'm repeating some things that Brad has said in our process, forgive me for that, so you may have already heard some of it. But uh, just our process in going through that, I guess... Um, Sometime after Lindsay and I got married, we we knew that we were giving, and we were actually reasonably comfortable with the amount per se. But uh, we kind of had a thought one day, you know, if Jesus came back right now and asked, "I've given you all these funds. What have you done with them?" We wouldn't really have an accounting for that. We would fumble a little bit and say, um, "We did some good things. We gave some money to this guy and to this place and this person when they needed it." But we weren't really comfortable with the the lack of accounting of that, you know, to be entrusted with somebody else's funds. Um, so we, my nature is to spreadsheet things and track them, and I have a background in programming, so it's a bit of a hobby of mine, but uh, <laughs> I dragged Lindsay along with that. Uh, we started the discussion on um, first establishing a percentage of our income, of course, that we were going to dedicate towards giving. Um, and then we started talking about our values a little bit, so of that uh, percentage, where did we want that to go? So we decided that, you know, supporting our local church was a priority because um, it's biblical. Uh, second, we decided that um, as we saw Jesus meet, Jesus meet people's material needs, that we wanted to be helping and alleviate poverty. So helping orphans and widows and people who have no food and water and hungry and thirsty. Um, so we made that a, a section in our 
plan. And then the third section there was also, we believe, uh, strongly in missions work, so sharing the gospel evangelism. So we have a missions component in there, third category. So the, um, from all of each of our incomes, you know, first of all, it comes off the top. There's an amount that goes into a separate banking account. We have RBC online banking, and you can create as many free accounts as you want, so I don't, I'm not, it's not a plug for RBC, but whatever institution you're with, whether they, I'm, a lot of them have these e-savings account now that are free, so you can set money aside. So beginning, or every time we get a paycheck or income, it goes into that account, and then you update that on our spreadsheet that tells us how much is in that account, and then how much is designated for each of those three categories, so we can be a little bit more thoughtful, as Brad was saying, if somebody comes to us and says, I'm going on a missions trip, we can say, well, yes, actually we have money in our missions plan for that, so we're willing to support you in that. Um, so is this, Lindsay, is this your natural wiring? Like, are you a lover of all things spreadsheets? Um, I was very not impressed with it yet. <laughs> um, I was like, part of me was like, you know, we're giving money away. But then when we were talking about it, we were like, we have no idea where we're giving. We don't know how much we're giving until we get tax receipts at the end of the year. And so when Tyler was like, I'm going to spreadsheet it. Now, we have spreadsheets for other things as well. So I was like, we do not need another spreadsheet that I have to update and enter stuff into. So no, not my natural inclination at all. Um, but it's been really good, and it's been a work in process. Like, we still are talking about stewardship. I think, you know, where all this came from is we want to get to the end and just have God say, like, yes, you've stewarded well what we've like what I've entrusted you with, whether it's finances or time or, you know, whatever it is. And so definitely not my natural inclination, um, but it's been good for us. Um, yes. So no, I don't know. So here's the actual spreadsheet. Uh, there's no dollar values in there, just so you are aware of that. But um, talk us through it a little bit, Tyler. How does it work like for you so, guys? <laughs> you can see the column on the right there uh, for deposits. So any time we get income, we would take the allotted percentage and enter it into the column there and then transfer it into the account. And it's going to, it all auto-populates. Like, that's the programming in there. So it'll keep track of the account balance there as we add or subtract to the account. And then you punch in your giving total percentage, the total percentage of your income that you want to give away, and then each of the subcategories, you know, if it was 10% and then 3.3, 3.3, 3.3, it's going to divide that for an allowance for each category, if you will, and then as you give to those different categories and enter it in the spreadsheet, it's going to subtract from that category and down in the allowance remaining. So it'll tell you the total amount you've given to each and the total amount you have remaining to give to each of those. So what is then, uh, how do you handle this, those requests that come from a friend or from somebody that's saying, I'm going on a mission trip? There's a category at the bottom there called bonus gifts. What is bonus <laughs> right. gifts? So do you want to speak on that? Or? Um, so what's good about this too is that it helps us be on the same page in terms of our goal setting. So at the beginning of the year, we'll talk through um, you know, where we want to give and then what we want to focus on. Um, the good thing about this too is it lets us save up for a project because the money's not in our main account and so it's already been taken out. We have a giving account there and this helps us know in the giving account like how much of it is designated for Jericho or for missions or for poverty and so when we get a request, um, it's actually really simple. I mean, I usually call Tyler and say, hey, someone's emailed me this, or we got this letter about this, like, what do you want to do? And he usually says, well, is there money in the missions account? And I'm like, yes. So he's like, okay, then, like, give it out. Um, 
And the bonus gifts, we kind of just added as like a fun thing. So this is like the gentleman I met in the Extra Foods parking lot that I got talking with and gave him some money for groceries. So the bad thing about the worksheet is we're like trying to figure out how do we give sacrificially if we've already put our giving money aside. So the bonus gifts are the categories when we do something above and beyond um, what's already allotted for, yeah. and if that makes sense. We're aware of the risks of a system like this. Premeditating and planning everything is not really allowing a lot of room for the spirit to work. I mean, it's not totally shutting them out necessarily, but the bonus gift is also a part of that. If you know somebody comes to us and says, I need funds for this, or even if they don't come to you, you just see a need. Um, we don't want to say, sorry, doesn't fit into our plan, can't help you, because Jesus also said to give to those who ask. So, And that can be something outside of that, which we would then have to find a place for in our budget, because there is no just extra cash lying around in the budget, so it's either coming out of entertainment or dining out or vacation or somewhere else, or it can be things that don't fit into those categories that we'd still like to support, like somebody comes to us and says, we're doing the run for the cure, uh, can I, you know, would you support my Movember efforts or anything like that, you know, we can still contribute to and it hasn't totally thrown the plan aside. So, and the other risk, I guess, is also just while we're on that topic of risks and things that we're aware of, the, the belief that we've set a certain amount that we're going to give away, this percentage, now all of the rest of money of, is ours and we're free to do with it as we please. And I wouldn't want to suggest that either because we wrestle with this. I'm not saying we've mastered it, but we try and live with the understanding that all of what God has given us is his. So that doesn't mean we can spend frivolously all the amount that's now our money. It's still his and we should be responsibly stewarding that uh, as well. That's great. I really appreciate you guys sharing a little bit of a, a window into how you think uh, about this with us. I hope it's proved helpful for some people here. So let's thank Tyler and Lindsay for sharing Thanks. that with us. If anyone wants the spreadsheet, I can share it with you. You can customize it to your own amounts and tastes and categories as you please. Yeah, yeah. One last thought, just because I wasn't sure on the questions, but one thing that's really good about this for us is um, we want to give really strategically and also like geographically. So, um, you know, we can look at a situation in India and say, you know, we're not, we're not able to go necessarily, but we can give in that area or, um, you know, an organization that's doing something that my organization's not, but we're passionate about. And then it also lets us be strategic for the gospel because we can pick organizations that are doing great works and preaching Christ. So, um, yeah, we can just look at it and say, where are we giving, even like around the world and in our own community and be really strategic in that as well. So another last thought. Yeah. Thank you guys for sharing that with us. So Tyler's email is uh, up on the bottom of that. And if you would like to get a copy of it, he has the formulas already ready. So you punch it in and it populates. So that's levels of Excel that are new and mysterious to me, but they work. I tested it. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that's one way uh, that you might choose to live out a little bit more of a structure around being generous. And I want to say that as uh, pastors and elders at Jericho Ridge, our heart in this series is not that you'll just get more information about generous living, but that in 2015, you'll take increasing steps in your life into deeper places of generosity, and that that will bring joy to you, and it'll bring a level of freedom and excitement as you see what God is able to do with the things that he has entrusted to you. 
And so there's a few takeaways maybe for you today. I'll put those up on the screen. Maybe for you, this is the first time you've started thinking about actually a generosity plan of some type. And it doesn't have to be an Excel spreadsheet. It can be something else that works for you. But make a step towards a generosity plan. You might not be a spreadsheet, but you might have another way of doing it. The system is not the point. The point is having a 2 Corinthians 9-7 conversation with yourself to ask, have I decided in my heart what I'm going to give? And if the answer to that is yes, that's awesome. You have a generosity plan in play and begin to work it out. And there's incredible freedom in that. And then the scripture says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. But... Uh, just like the different ways between the way that my parents like to travel and that I like to travel, it's also wise, and Lindsay and Tyler hinted at this, to leave flexibility in your plan. So step one, have a plan. Step two, look for opportunities to be flexible with that. And look for opportunities where God might invite you to do something that uh, comes to your attention. And if you're so fixated on your generosity plan that you say to the Spirit, no thanks, God, can't be generous with that. It's not in the plan. Then that is an issue of not generosity anymore. That's an issue of obedience or disobedience to a whisper of the Spirit. And that's where, for me, the story in the Good Samaritan is helpful. Because the guy had a plan, but when he encountered the bleeding man at the side of the road, he didn't use his plan as an excuse not to help. He just simply responded both with his plan and with generosity. So I would suggest that there's uh, not just room for both, but there's a healthy and dynamic relationship between planning and spontaneity. So I'm not quite sure how to put this for those of you who like to take notes, so here's my feeble attempt at expressing this. Point number three is, if you have a generosity plan, look for opportunities to be flexible. Don't do number two without number one, and don't do number one without number two. Does that make sense? Don't look for opportunities to be flexible without a plan because then you can get yourself into trouble. But don't have a plan, but then not look for opportunities to be flexible because then you just get into rigid, calloused uh, ambiguity and, and unfeeling, unwillingness to listen to the Spirit of God in your life. The Scripture says in Proverbs 3, verse 27, don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it is within your power to help them. You have to figure out, is it, is it within your power to help them? And is this your responsibility that God is calling you to do? So that's the value and the freedom of a plan. And if there's any way that we can help you with this as a church, Tyler and Lindsay uh, are willing to uh, have said that, hey, they're willing to help with that resource. There's lots of people that we have here at Jericho that are, that are wise in this. I think about Al Thiessen. Uh, last weekend, we gave you a book called The Genius of Generosity. Chapter two in that book goes into more detail about this. So if you didn't get your copy, stop by the Welcome Center. Denise will make sure you get one. Uh, and it's free. Read it and discuss it with people you know and trust. And if you want to talk about it more with somebody uh, and you want some confidential coaching in this area, then email me and we'll put you in touch with somebody like Al Thiessen is great at this. Uh, Keith and Melissa are good at this in their lives. And we'll make sure that you can find somebody that helps in an area that would be wise for you. Because I don't want you to just hear us talk about generosity. We should be generous. We should be more generous. And not actually give you a sense of how you could go about doing that and the tools and the abilities to put into practice what God is calling you to do in your life. And this is rooted in our values. It's rooted in our vision here as a church. And so as our benediction, as we go from this place today, I'm going to pray our core value of generous living over you. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray?
Father God, we want to commit as individuals and as a community to be faithful stewards. We want to be willing, God, to cheerfully share what we have with others. We want to listen to and depend on you in every circumstance with a humble spirit of gratitude. We pray that your generosity that you have poured into our lives and has touched every aspect of our lives, that you would uh, give us generous hearts, that that generosity would flow into every area of our lives, our friendships, our service, our time, our gifts, our abilities, and our material resources. And so God, I pray that as you give us the things that you've entrusted to us, you would give us also incredible wisdom by your spirit to steward them well and respond to the spirit of God at work in the world. We go from this place with the desire in our heart to do that more faithfully in ever-increasing ways in 2015 as you continue to equip and strengthen us by your spirit for the work you have called us to in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in every environment we find ourselves in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.